0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Boss Podcast. I'm Kirk Bailey bringing you the penultimate episode of 2020, episode 47 with Ayat Shikari, looking at why customer first fails.
1: Welcome to the Business of Software podcast, where we share talks from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. You can find out more at businessofsoftware.org.
0: Even when companies embrace a customer-first methodology in their organisations and on their websites, sometimes the way they tap into customer voice doesn't give them the right result. So what do you do? Ayat started her career as an educator and copywriter before co-founding Invesp to help customers convert web traffic into action. In 2016, she launched FigPi, a SaaS product to help companies improve their CRO. With over a decade of CRO experience, Ayat helps companies create websites that people fall in love with while increasing their online sales. Along with our partner, Ayat developed the SHIP method to optimization which employs robust qualitative and quantitative activities paired with contemporary psychology and behavioral marketing tactics to create winning websites for clients. Most marketing talk or business strategy meetings emphasize the importance of customer first. Yet, if we take a look at companies and how they operate, the Hippo or C-level executives are still calling the shots without paying heed to the needs and wants of the customer. You can see this online when a website uses terminology that the average person simply can't understand, or when a design is simply the result of a bunch of executives deciding what they think their customer wants. Happy listening!
1: So it's funny, because when I, you know, this specific title, I wrote about the fact that I'm going to come to to Boss and that I'm talking about why customer first fails. So somebody was like, what? Customer first fails? How is that possible? And I'm like, no, what I'm trying to say is we're going to talk about why it fails and what we can do about it, how we can improve it. A little bit about me. Um, I am the queen of CRO. Uh, I have been doing conversion rate optimization now for 12 years, uh, so I've definitely earned that title. Um, the, the little you know, video that you see here is my son. Um, he's kind of like, he's the youngest of four, and he is kind of like a mini Elmira. I don't know if you guys remember who Elmira is, but I have this little <laughs> video also. Um, but it's just hilarious. Our cat is like kind of tortured by him, but she loves him as well. Um, so, what I'm going to talk about today is, of course, you know, everybody wants to know what is, how do we get into the minds of the customer? And I think Jared yesterday spoke a lot about you know customer behavior and understanding the customer journey, and that's a lot of what I'm going to talk about uh, with you today. But what we can do about really implementing, um, you know, different tactics to make sure that we understand a little bit more about the customers. So we all think that our customers behave in a certain linear fashion. But the reality is of course that they don't behave that way. They never do what we want them to do and what we expect them to do. It's always erratic and and, um, they're coming from different sources and using different devices and I need to understand all of that and map it out. So it becomes very challenging to really understand how the customer is behaving, how they're using your software, how they're uh, navigating your website um, and and that's kind of the gist of if I want to understand why and, and you know, address kind of the customer needs. I need to understand really how they're behaving and how they're um, going through, trying to crystallize that journey, really understanding a little bit more about, OK, well, who are they? And where are they coming from? And what can I do about it? And, and that'll help you really um, get ahead and you know, provide them with the experience that they're looking for. Because ultimately, it all comes down to the experience. Who knows this character here? Salt Bay, right? I mean, he went viral. We all want to go viral, right? Um, But what was it that Salt Bay provided? Why did he suddenly open up a huge restaurant in Miami and in New York? Uh, He's actually originally from Turkey. So how did he get such international success? And he has a restaurant actually in Dubai as well. What was it that he provided? Does anybody know? Pardon me? entertainment or an experience, right? Because that's what everybody's looking for. They want some sort of an experience. And the way that they prepare the meat, and they put on this show with every single dish that they prepared. So I actually uh, lived in Istanbul for a few years, so I went to this restaurant a lot. Um, and they prepare the meat in a way that just it's so interesting and, and so great. And the thing is is that they're not the first that did this. I mean you know he when you go to istanbul a lot of the different restaurants there they put on a show they put on a show with like how they prepare the food but he became viral because you know and that's what we all want we all want to become viral we all want to provide the customer with that experience and you know make sure we're like you know really famous and but the reality is it takes a lot of time to get there You know, it's not, you know, you always see those, like, memes about, like, what we want and what the reality is. You know, that's the reality is that it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to understand the customer and provide what they want um, and get them to that really unique experience that's going to get the buzz and everybody's going to talk about you because of what you're doing. Now, you know, the thing is, is that a lot of customers are... In this, you know, when they look at kind of just the different services provided and the different products and the different um, subscriptions, there's so many options. There's so many options for them to choose from. They're always comparing you against some sort of competitor <coughs> because we have become very commoditized. And so the only way to break out of that commoditization is really providing an experience that they're going to remember, something that's memorable. And I really liked right now what PDQ showed, how they are kind of like honest, that rawness, and that's really providing their customers with something raw and real and something that's going to be that you know, overall experience. Um, it, you know, there was, there's also like, I remembered right away, if you guys recall, um, Kentucky Fried Chicken ran out of chicken. Did you guys, does anybody know the story? And so they bought a full page ad, I think in the Wall Street Journal, and they just switched around their letters to FCK. Okay, so it was funny and it was just like, this is, yeah, a major mess up that we did. Um, And that was the idea is that they're owning up and they're kind of providing, again, like with something real and wrong, that's what visitors and and, uh, customers are looking for. So when we talk about customer centricity, there's a lot of stats out there. I pulled a few that I thought were interesting. Um, You know, of course, 60% of companies that have some sort of customer-centric program are more uh, successful. But however, you know, only 48% of marketers believe that their organizations can get to that point. Um, so obviously there's, there's a lack of, of being able to, to succeed in that, um, that area. Um, and then also just trying to integrate. 70% of marketers believe that they can't integrate. Um, and try to provide, again, between all the data that's online and offline, that customer-centric kind of uh, culture. And then um, finally, when you look at just customers themselves, they, or marketers themselves, they can't even recognize who their customers are. So there's, again, like a data breakdown almost, really trying to understand who the customer is and why, and, and we'll talk about that. So <clears throat> what are the reasons why customer service fails? So one of the first ones that I came up with and I did like, you know, my due diligence and research about this and of course, you know, from my own experience and thinking about some of the companies that we work with, I, you know, the first one that comes to mind is a lot of people just pay lip service to it. They say, hey, you know, we are a customer centric organization. We love our customer. Our customer is always first. But the reality is that their actions speak louder than words. Um, When your organization and your top management hasn't changed, they haven't evolved, you haven't informed everybody how we're going to become more customer-centric, then ultimately that doesn't really mean anything. So in order to become a customer-centric organization, you need to take steps in order to change that. The first thing is, of course, be data-driven. And again, um, Jared talked a lot about this, about you know, the quantitative and the qualitative data and really pairing that in order to understand the customer journey a little bit more. And it's funny because I had a a client who, who, they're like a $1.5 billion company, huge, you know, and they thought, we know our customers so well. And so when we would suggest like, you know, different changes that they should be making on their website and on their applications, they said, no, 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 this is not gonna work. Our customers, we know them really well. These are the behaviors that our customers, uh, you know, th- these are the actions that they usually take. This is what they do. But the reality is when we dug deeper, that's not what we were seeing. And so we said, listen, it's fine. You know, We're a conversion rate optimization company and everything that we do, we usually A, B test it. We make sure and validate every single change that we make. And so the first test that we ran proved them wrong completely. And they were just shocked. So the thing is is that sometimes you know, you think you know your customers, but the data maybe isn't that fresh and it's not that new and maybe you have a new set of customers and the way that they behave online isn't the same way that they behave offline and you have to understand that and recognize that. So you want to kind of understand demand fresher data and really understand who are those in market customers more. And then of course like try to think of things more broad based. Um, really understand uh, you know all of the different facets and all of the different areas kind of get that that complete journey map nowadays you know it used to be that the bigger companies gobble up the smaller companies right that's what it used to be like and you know to a certain extent sometimes that still is the case but uh, the the advantage that small companies have is that of course they have the ability to be more agile, to change, to adapt. Um, whereas larger companies don't have that flexibility. And actually, just some of the conversations that I had yesterday with a lot of a lot of you were that, you know, uh, when you're working in these large organizations and these large companies, they have this inability to kind of, you know, change. And it takes a really long time to change, whereas these small companies are able to just pick it up. You have you know, a smaller set of employees, you're able to like, you know, implement change very quickly, but it's a matter of recognizing what kind of change that I want to um, implement. The second one, um, in order to not pay lip service and really change and become more customer-centric is try to be innovative. And you know, we're all about kind of innovation and how we're going to innovate. Um, you know, our organizations and, like, you know, the products that we're offering. But, you know, for us, we're very keen on, you know, of course, like, A-B testing, right? And what we believe is that the more we're able to produce tests, the more we're able to see these innovations. And the thing is, is that what I'm talking about when it comes to A-B testing is not, you know, like these just slapping something, changing a color. Please don't, don't think that that's How simple it is. It's actually very complex. You have to really understand so much about what's going on, really identify what the issues are, and then try to come up with different ways to solve it that are innovative. And um, actually, uh, you know, this is a quote by uh, Jeff Bezos, but he also talks about delighting, the idea of like, you know, delighting the visitor, right? And he talks about getting this big win. And he uh, uses the analogy of baseball, where you know, you're know you batting and you're trying to hit that home run. You keep on going, you keep on going until you hit that home run, right? And the nice thing is, is that you know when I use that analogy, obviously for A-B testing you have a lot, you have the chances are much more to be able to hit a home run. So the more you're able to test and identify and figure out what's going on with your customers, the more you'll be able to reach kind of that innovation overall. Um, a- another way to avoid paying just lip service to, uh, you know, being customer centric is make your organization more collaborative. You know, I had a conversation yesterday with somebody who was saying that we're so siloed in whatever organization that she was working in, and you know, that's the, the idea is you want to make sure that there's communication between the people that are actually. You know, leading the product development with you know, the marketing people, with the people that are doing the optimization or UX, because there has to be kind of collaboration. Um, I think it was like in 2017, one of the words that like, marketers wanted never to hear again was like, silos, because it was like, so overused, and everywhere you would go, you'd hear the word silo. Um, but it's, the reality is that that's what organizations do a lot of time, is that they put you know, certain people in certain boxes, and there's no collaboration between the teams. But that's not the way to see that growth. That's not the way to become a customer-centric organization. And so if you look at some of these like leading uh, companies, Pinterest, Twitter, LinkedIn, Dropbox, a lot of them are integrated functional growth teams. In order to make sure that there is collaboration and communication and everybody is constantly on the same page when it comes to customer centricity and trying to become more innovative with their organizations. So ultimately, again, you're trying to create teams that are designed for growth, designed for understanding uh, the customer. The second uh, s- reason why um, customer first fails in a lot of organizations is that they don't follow a specific process. And you know, I know that yesterday, I don't know who, s- who talked about process, but they said it's not about process, it's more about like, you know, uh, systematic change and you know but the idea is that you want to provide some sort of guidelines of what to do and we're all about you know a process so you know when it comes to how we approach our you know analytics or, or what we review and what we look at when we t- talk about just even qualitative um, data collection there has to be some sort of guidelines you know we're not taking away autonomy from our team but we need to provide some sort of process But, and a lot of companies want to, you know, do it, but they just don't know how. And they're looking for ways to actually know what to do and how to um, create a process. And sometimes it's just providing, again, some sort of guideline for organizations to better understand how they should go about doing things. So we have like our, we have a nice little acronym SHIP um, that it's, it just kind of highlights what exactly is our process and how do we approach conversion rate optimization. And we do it through, you know, scrutinizing, hypothesizing, implementing, and then propagating all of that great information that we gathered in order for us to, um, you know, find more and more uh, ways to become a better organization and more innovative. Uh, The third reason uh, why a lot of, you know, customer-first fails is there's just a lack of, you know, customer data collection, or it's poor data collection in general. Um, There was a... A case study, and, and I'll get to the story in a little bit. But there was a, or there was, you guys may be familiar with this. In the '90s, Heinz Ketchup came up with this idea that they wanted to change the color of ketchup. Does anybody remember this? Right? And what happened was they, you know, brought in a bunch of moms and kids, and they showed them the booger-colored ketchup and the orange ketchup, and I don't know what, and the purple ketchup. And they said they were they loved it. It was so awesome. It was just so like you know great. And then they pushed this product out, and people hated it. So the reality is that sometimes customers don't really tell you the truth, and you have to really dig deeper. Uh, so this is also at the brink of the um, uh, industrial revolution. They were cre- they were building all these skyscrapers, right? And w- in these skyscrapers, they had to provide some sort of a lift or an elevator. And you know, a lot of times it was only one. So it was like this huge skyscraper that only had one elevator. And so people were just hating it. They were crowded. They were, you know, it took forever because they were a lot slower than they are today. And so people were very unhappy. So they asked people, what should we do? How can we improve the elevator experience? And so everybody's like, well, obviously build more elevators. But what would that cost? I mean, you know, if you're going to build change infrastructure, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in many cases. So they decided that they were going to find a different solution. They recognized what the problem was. People were unhappy. How could we just help them feel a little bit more comfortable in their elevator experience? So what did they do? They put mirrors. And that's why you'll find a lot of mirrors in elevators. is because it makes it feel like the elevator is a lot bigger. So it's just giving people like a feeling. And then a lot of times when you're crowded, you don't know where to look. And so sometimes looking at the mirror and you know, being able to stare at somebody else <laughs> kind of helps. So again, the idea is that if I relied on just, if they took what those customers said and they just applied that, then they would have, you know, it would have cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars. But the fact that they just they solved it by providing, like, you know, just putting these mirrors in, they were able to still make people happy and at the same time not cost themselves so much money. The reason is a lot of customers give you really top-of-mind answers. I know I heard this a lot already. Um, When you're trying to figure out what's happening with them, they won't tell you the reality of what's happening with them. They just let you know what they think they want you to hear sometimes or what they think they want, but it's not really what they want. Um, So it's almost like you have to dig into their subconscious because they can't express what it is. And I think Jared yesterday talked about this a lot, about observing. Like a lot of times when you observe customers, how are they interacting with my application? How are they interacting with my website? I'm gonna be able to learn a lot more because they'll do things that they typically wouldn't do when, or when I ask them a question. So that's why trying to understand how to conduct proper qualitative research is essential. And then, you know, and we always say the planning part that should be the bulk of what you're doing because ultimately you really want to get into the details of how I'm going to conduct and what I'm going to conduct and who I'm going to target. And then the conducting the research part is the smallest portion. But it's really that first part, the planning phase, and then of course analyzing the results. Okay, It's great that I conducted this qualitative research, but if I'm not actually applying that knowledge, then really I haven't, I haven't done anything for my customer and I haven't really changed anything that's going to help them. Um, So there's different ways and of course the more you can actually get into the face of the customer the better Really like um, you know we love to do customer interviews talking to people looking at their facial expressions Sometimes it can tell you a lot more than maybe their words can sometimes Um, Usability studies as well Especially when you have like some sort of an application that you need to test out to see how visitors interact So what are kind of just some overall steps? These are really quick to conducting qualitative research First, you know, it's funny because, like, a lot of times people think that they need something and they don't really know if they they need it. So, I think it's first really important to kind of recognize why it is. What am I trying to do exactly? And then the second thing is you want to try to identify what the goal is. What am I trying to accomplish with this research that I'm conducting? Um, And then, you know, you want to identify who it is that you're targeting with this research as well. You know, like a lot of times you might say, oh, look, I'm just going to conduct this qualitative research with all of my customers at all different kinds. But what if, you know, you want to look at people that have subscribed, people that have left, um, you know, really try to understand It, it goes back to the goal. What am I trying to understand from my customers? And that's the participant that I need to ask these questions to. Then you have to identify your personal bias. Funny story about this is that you know, we had a um, subscription-based client who um, sold grooming, men's grooming products. Um, so here I come in, and I'm just you know, super familiar with all men, right? Um, so I start making these assumptions. And so then the males that were in the room were just like, no, that's not what we think. Or that's not how I would interact with this. Or that's not what I would do. And then I recognize, hey, I have A major bias, and I took the same questions, some of them, and I asked, I I come from a large family, and I have two older brothers and two younger brothers, so I asked them as well, and I have a brother that's like, you know, pinstripe, corporate lawyer, big shot, you know, and I figured, oh, he would definitely love these type of products, so I started asking him some questions. He's like, no, I have no interest whatsoever in a product like this. And then I asked my younger brother, who is more of a guy who's like, You know, loves his hair, he takes care of his hair all the time, and you know, the Yeezy wearing type guy. And I figured for sure he would love this product. And he's like, No, I would never use this product. I have great jeans, I don't have to worry about it. So, so again, like, you know, even with my own siblings, I had biases. I assumed that these specific brothers had, you know, they would be more inclined to a product like this, and I was completely wrong. Um, and then, of course, you know, like when it comes to qualitative, you have to determine what type of qualitative research I'm gonna be conducting. What makes the most sense in this, you know, to answer this specific question and to reach this specific goal? Um, and make sure, of course, that you format the questions correctly. And then, of course, you know, the, the ultimate um, thing that always, whenever anything is conducted, any type of research, if you don't analyze and propagate that data in some way, shape, or form, you're just missing out on great nuggets of information. So we did a customer uh, we conducted uh, customer interviews for this particular client, and they have kind of a r- online radio show slash podcast type service. So this was what their sign up process looked like. It was one page. Um, they had first you had to actually sign up for the account, and then below that it gave you kind of like the package details and, and more information. So, when we talked to the customers, what we found was a lot of them were frustrated because they couldn't find the information that they needed. Some of them said, "I'm just not ready to sign up." Some said that they felt rushed that this type of you know sign up form they, they made them feel very rushed. Some of them said that they were looking for the cost and they couldn't really find it and and then some were just like, I, "What is involved in this?" And the key thing about the, you know understanding Sometimes like customers and and how they think is there's something called cognitive progression It's really trying to understand getting into the brain of the the visitor and seeing like this specific product Yeah, it might not be a very expensive product, but there's Investment involved and that's what they're thinking about so when I think about how I'm going to take them from one step to the next I really need to consider the fact that there is an investment Involved in this. There's a personal, you know, like um, time investment that has to go into doing a radio show or a podcast. It's not something easy to do. Uh, So, you know, we wanted to really kind of dig deeper. So we took those great nuggets from the customers, we plotted them, we thought, "What, what what is it telling us? So some of the things maybe were test ideas. Some of the um, things that they mentioned, you know, like feeling rushed or looking for costs, some of them were just fixes that we just needed to address right away. How could we make the cost more visible? How could we ensure that they had all the information that they needed? And some of them required us to actually investigate a little bit more like maybe I need to like dig deeper like why are they saying this specific thing? I want to understand a little bit more about it. So of course, after many iterations, this was what the final um, checkout looked like. Honestly, I could give you guys probably a whole talk about the process of how we went from one stage to the next, but this is what the final page looked like. Um, So again, we tried to clarify the process we made sure that the benefits were very clear for them to see Um, We of course made sure that the price was clearly displayed and then of course they offer a free option We wanted to make sure that that was visible for the visitor as well So they understood that and then the last thing was we made it a two-page sign up again thinking about cognitive progression It isn't something that they should feel rushed They should take their time read the details come back to it if they want to and then they'll move on to the next stage but when you just you know, put all that, you have to enter your information now. A lot of visitors were hesitant to do that, so we wanted to make sure we address that. So again, there's different each type of qualitative research is gonna give you a different, you know, set of answers and different type of information. Another um, customer that we had was subscription based, and they noticed that between one to three months their customers were leaving the subscription. They wanted to understand why is this happening. And so what we thought to do is rather than just focus on those customers that were leaving, we also wanted to look at those customers that were staying. Because we wanted to see, okay, well what was the reason that they decided to stay with the subscription versus the other visitors that actually just you know, signed up and then within like, you know, one to three months left. Um, so we split up the groups, we you know, conducted interviews for each of them and were able to really pin down reasons why a lot of the different um, visitors were, were leaving. The other, um, the fourth reason why customer first often fails is there's no context. So yeah, we understand now we have to conduct good qualitative research. You know, we need to have a more customer-driven first organization. Um, but what what else in terms of just overall understanding the visitors? You know, you can't cast obviously a wide net. I have a, um, a client now who has asked us to do kind of some copywriting, um, you know, CRO-focused copywriting. And, you know, so obviously when we're doing our due diligence, we're asking her a little bit more about who is she targeting, who are her target customers, and she's like, just all women. Like, that's who I'm targeting, all women at any phase in their lives. And I'm looking at her like, what do you mean? How is it all women at any phase in their life? You know, that's casting a really wide net. Are you sure that this specific service is going to work for all women? And obviously my copy needs to be catered towards specific groups at any point in time. So a lot of times you talk to organizations and that's what they think, all people, why would it be any different? Um, And and maybe like a long time ago in the times of Mad Men or the time of like when websites just started, it was okay, you would get away with doing whatever. But now, again, when it's trying to provide that experience, it's not like that anymore. You can't get away with just whatever. You really need to understand the visitor a lot more and be very, very specific. Not all customers are the same, and they're definitely not going through all the experiences. So the key here is, what is it about those experiences that I'm going to understand a little bit more about? So when we approach this, when we're trying to understand experiences overall, I come in with a lot of different questions about, um, again, when how am I going to make it easier for visitors to complete tasks? How am I going to make sure that they're enjoying it? Uh, so you know, we know that customers don't come all, not all customers come to a website or an application thinking the same thing. A lot of times they're coming sometimes to answer questions. Maybe they're some coming to find a solution. Maybe they're comparing options. You know, they're coming with different intent. And I need to understand what is the intent that's bringing them, and how am I addressing that concern uh, right away? Um, And then, again, I'm thinking about what task they're trying to accomplish, and what is the behavior that I'm trying to facilitate for that specific task? So we have a number of things that we ask in order to understand this. You know, for every client that we have, we look through, trying to understand all the experiences that bring people to different websites and applications in order to understand a little bit more. So what's their intent? What is the context of their visit? Like, you know, what devices are they they using? Um, What, you know, browsers? We're trying to really dig deeper and understand a little bit more about the context. Now, it's not 100% science, but it's more of trying to our best map out that journey. You know, to understand exactly where and how they're coming to the website. Where does their experience start? Again, it's trying to figure out where are they first looking? Is it clicking on an ad or is it you know, um, visiting our Facebook page? What is it? What's happening? And then where does that experience uh, finish? And then again, you want to understand also how brand aware are they when they're coming? You know? And depending on that context, maybe they're at different levels of brand awareness. And then, of course, where are they within the buying funnel? If I want them to actually end up subscribing or if I want them to end up um, you know, like purchasing, where are they um, in that funnel? So for us, mapping out those experiences helps us understand, okay, well, there's these different types of visitors. And these different types of visitors are coming through the website with these different experiences. And how do I enhance that overall for them and make it better for them? Um, And then, of course, what we do is we take that, we map that information, we understand, okay, this is where they're coming, this is the intent, this is the context, this is where they're starting, this is where they're ending, and this is the feelings that they have, the brand awareness level, and the buying stage that they're at. Again, it's just a way for us to have this good view of the customer overall and how we're going to address all their needs. Um, so, the fifth reason why customer first fails is a lot of times there's a lack of prioritization. Uh, you know, And it was funny because like they were talking about um, the first talk was about the um, product roadmap overall and prioritizing what's the most important feature that you want to include. And that's something that we deal with a lot is you know, especially when it comes to providing people With overall experiences, you're thinking, how do I prioritize? How do I make sure that I'm hitting on the most important thing that's going to impact my my visitors and really giving them that that experience? What happens in a lot of organizations is, you know, like the hippo or the CEO or whoever says, I want this change. I want this feature to be added. I want this, you know, whatever modification to happen. And everybody's scrambling to make it happen, and then they kind of fudge the numbers to make it just work. Right, and so this is kind of like the typical hypothesis statement, but using kind of um, you know the hippo or the CEO giving uh, this type of instruction. So that's not the way to approach prioritizing. You want to make sure that prioritization is a, a little bit more scientific than that um, to make sure you're addressing the customer needs and providing really that customer-first experience. The second thing is it should never be about putting about uh, you know putting out fires now. We also develop software so we know that sometimes things just happen and you just have to like, you know, address it. Of course, that's just normal with development. But at the same time, you, know, you wanna make sure that there's less of the putting out fires and there's more of you know, coming up with the features and the, you know, the, the path that's going to work better for, for visitors. How am I gonna really provide them again with that experience, putting them first, so on and so forth. So what we do is we have basically this way that we prioritize all these issues that we collect. We conduct, you know, and I showed you guys kind of that ship method, we conduct a lot of research at the beginning of a project and then we plot it all. We plot all that information in to kind of see, and there's kind of like a mathematical formula somewhat of telling us exactly what we should be tackling first. What issue are we going to address first for our customers? Um, <clears throat> now, none of these, and you'll see like a lot of CRO companies, a lot of you know, UX companies, they may have methodology behind this. It's not bulletproof. It's not 100%. A lot of times you need still a person to look at it and make sure that that makes sense, that that's the first thing that I'm going to tackle. But we do our best to kind of figure out what is the first issue. So, again, we've collected all the data, and then we classify it. We you know, figure out there's some like usability things. OK, those issues aren't things that we'll test. Those are just things that need to be fixed. Now, there's some things, for example, that I need to track better. There's no event tracking on these specific areas on the website. I need to make sure that there's event tracking everywhere. Um, I also want to make sure that there's, OK, there's some things that are research opportunities, which are what we call kind of the, the tests or the experiments that we conduct. And then there's some things that need to be investigated further. I don't have answers. I've done some research here in this specific area, and I found that there's some questions that I have, but I don't have all the answers. So I need to dig deeper, understand a little bit more about what I'm going to be investigating. And so we kind of take this classification. you know. And somebody mentioned this is that like, oh, well, the jar is never really closed because you should be always adding to this uh, list. Um, And then we prioritize them. So we try to separate problem identification from what are the possible solutions. And what I'll do at the end, you'll see at the end of the um, presentation, I also have a link to this so that you can also possibly use this within your organizations. And then we use 18 different factors to weigh each line item. So whatever the issue is that you've identified, how do I weigh this, this in terms of priorities for my customer? Um, and then you, of course, assign uh, different priorities for each line item. Some of the things that we look at are like, you know the potential impact of this particular Issue Um, Was the problem, how was it discovered? Was it just discovered through a heuristic evaluation? Was it discovered through qualitative research, maybe a usability test? Was it um, uh, discovered through analytics or heat map data? Was the problem above the fold? Uh, And then I, of course, look at how does this idea enhance, what's the primary goal of the entire site is it subscriptions is it you know whatever it is does this particular issue enhance it um, is implementing the change easy sometimes you want to implement a change and nobody agrees or you don't have the development team on board or your CEO just really hates it um, you know we had a client where we showed like you know some massive improvements on his website but he was married to his site and he didn't want to change it and we're like hey you're getting more orders. You know, like, are you sure you don't want you know these changes? He's like, I love the design. I put my you know my sweat and tears into this design. There is no way that I can like you know part away with it. So we're like, okay. Some times people just make choices, you know, in their life. And then that same customer actually came back um, a couple years later, and he's like, hey, my conversion rates are really down. So, uh, so again, you know, the idea is that sometimes it's not easy to make changes. Sometimes it's about adding or removing some sort of an element, um, and all of these are things that we're weighing and deciding, okay, well, based on all of this information, what is the priority? What's going to come first? What's going to come next? After prioritization, we have a really nice list that we work off of and we say, okay, let's look at all of this and let's kind of knock out each of these. Some of them are gonna be, like I said, tests. Some of them are going to be fixes and so on and so forth. And then the sixth and final reason why sometimes it's difficult to become customer first is that sometimes it's just politically dif- difficult or it's very expensive. You know, Again, I, and I talked about this a little bit, is that larger organizations sometimes implementing change is a lot more challenging than with smaller organizations that are already more agile and they can kind of adapt to change a lot differently. So, What really has to happen, and you know, we do this all the time also, because we don't wanna ever start a project with any organization where there's not complete buy-in from everyone. So you have to make sure that top management is all on board, and if they're not on board, you're gonna run into challenges, and you're not gonna be able to implement this customer-first type of um, organization and, and methodology into your organization. So you have to make sure that top management is uh, they, they buy into it, and the way to do that very often is just sell it. You know, like you're selling anything. Make sure you provide them with uh, data. Uh, make sure you bring the customers to life in some way, shape, or form. Reach outside the organization. You know, make sure you involve people that are on the front lines. And then, you know, if you have the data points, a lot of times it's not easy to sell people, especially when they're stuck in their ways. But if you provide what is needed, then you're going to be able to see kind of some sort of result there. So I did provide, um, like I mentioned to you, there's uh, there's a lot of different um, links here. Uh, This one link will give you a lot of different options and a lot of different tools that will hopefully help your organizations start with, thinking about conversion rate optimization and how to um, improve and how to approach it. and I actually I guess I'm, you know, the, the one person that's between you and lunch, and I finished early, so <laughs> so you guys can get there faster and we can also take some questions. So thank you.
2: Thank you. That was fantastic. I was admiring both the talk and thinking that would make a really nice shirt. <laughs> <Thanks. That. laughs> there we go. Um, questions? Are those hands up at the back? Yep, they are. I'm on, yep. I'm here. on my mic. Uh, thank you, by the way. Uh, the, the thing that comes up with us is we're selling to the enterprise, so we have people who come to the website multiple times, maybe over you know many months. Um, imperfect data. So we don't always have the best source information from Google. Thank you, Google. Um, and, and so we're trying to connect all the dots. And have you run into that situation before, and if so, are there any ways that we can kind of get some better, better data um, that helps us make better decisions?
1: Uh, so, I mean, in terms of better data, like if you're relying on Google, you know, you're, if that's the only source, there's obviously different analytics tools that you could possibly... HubSpot. Pardon me? HubSpot. HubSpot. Okay, I mean, I think HubSpot's, obviously, it's a great uh, tool to use. And you can obviously, um, there are ways to just tie in all of that information. Uh, But sometimes, you know, these tools are a little bit limiting. So that's why we always suggest, you know, again, like trying to Reach out, and um, you know, for example, if you do get, we have a customer actually in a very similar situation as you, where they sell to enterprise clients. They're like these, like you know, fifty thousand dollar to um, one hundred fifty thousand dollar deals. So they want to make sure that you know they're understanding everything that they possibly can about their visitor, and that's you know we're trying our best to um, create their analytics package as much as we can customize it to gather as much data points as we can so like I said you know um, adding events to certain areas that they didn't have, um, doing conducting some customer interviews. So like you know, for instance, even if somebody didn't sign up, we try to recruit them just to understand a little bit more about what they were looking for. Or listening in on some of the conversations that our, our um, client has with some of their potential deals and what are some of the pain points that they're experiencing. Again, to kind of get, give us as much of a picture as possible about their um, visitors to their website you know, before they, they contact them. Um, so you know, I think that that's the only way that you could possibly do it. And if there are other, like I said, tools that you could install to give you a little bit better picture, we do, you know, like I said, usability testing or video recording, heat map recording. All of that gives you kind of a little bit more insight into how people are actually behaving and what they're looking for and how you can enhance the site to make it a better experience for them. You're welcome.
2: where was your, sorry, yeah. Thank you so much for a a wonderful talk. Um, I I want to make a distinction between things that are perpetual, right, you talk about structural changes in the organization to be customer-centric, versus those things that are punctuated, like the qualitative research processes you were talking about, which are obviously not zero expense, uh, do drive marginal costs, and even the examples you were giving were like, it's a project, that's beginning, middle, and end, and then you come back. What would be a good way to think about frequency, as I try to be a bear hippo, what would be a good way to think about the frequency of those projects for bringing in someone such as yourself, your organization, or having staff on hand for for returning to this so that we are not spending infinite amounts of money but at the same time not chasing the fire.
1: So, I mean, I think again if you're trying to get to that customer centricity, you know, that the, the ultimate goal, there definitely has to be structural changes, but yes, that is going to be a lot more expensive. In terms of you know, frequency of changes, as I mentioned to you guys at the beginning, the more frequently you're changing and adapting, you know, like to some of these structural these um, more punctual changes or website changes or application changes that might not be as expensive. There's still going to be some expense but not as expensive. You're going to see yourself at least becoming a little bit more innovative as an organization as well. Because you know, you're know you forced to, you're, you have a set of issues that you're dealing with and you're forced to figure out what is the best solution for our customer in this particular situation. And so when you have, a, and we always, whenever it comes to conversion optimization, we say it's not a one man show. You definitely need a group of people that are thinking and talking about it and discussing and throwing out ideas and different hypotheses and trying to tackle those, those issues in that way. And that way you can really start getting to that point where you're innovating and producing different and unique solutions to your customer.
0: How do you integrate your activities with um, everybody else who wants to talk to the customer? Like, I feel like, uh, you know, developers want to have a better understanding of what the customer's doing. The design team wants to talk to customers. Sales, obviously, they're talking to customers to start with. So, there's like a queue of people. Everybody wants to get in front of the customer and find out what's going on. Uh, How do you juggle that?
1: So, I mean, I think the, and that's why you want to be collaborative, right? You want to have uh, teams that are working together, so that you're not constantly bombarding the customer with like, you know, lots of different questions from lots of different groups. You want to try to like, you know, minimize it, prioritize what's the most important thing right now that we need to tackle by talking to all the different groups and putting all of those different issues and questions, and then, you know, launching some sort of qualitative research based on that. Um, but of course, you know, if you overdo it the customer is not going to really like that so you want to kind of again even when it comes to that prioritize what's kind of like the the most important thing that we're going to be looking at and everybody should be on board and aware of of what we're going to be doing right then right now thanks for listening to the business of software podcast for more information go to businessofsoftware.org